Welcome back to After the Smoke Clears, the podcast where we explore stories of resilience and triumph after overcoming adversity. In this episode, we have a special segment lined up as we delve into the experiences of our two special guests, Simone and Brayden. Both of them grew up as minorities in minor hockey and faced discrimination as a result. They'll be sharing their unique experiences as a brown guy and a black girl navigating the world of hockey in Vancouver, shedding light on the challenges they faced and the lessons they've learned. Later on, our guest Simone will be sharing her personal experiences as a black person growing up and living in Vancouver, and we look forward to hearing her perspective on that. This should be an enlightening conversation as we explore our guest's stories of resilience and perseverance. We also want to let our listeners know that Sam will be joining us virtually in the episode because of health reasons. Sam's insights and perspectives are invaluable to us here at After the Smoke Clears, so we are excited to have him participate in the episode, even if it's in a different way. Damn right. And uh, also just, <laughs> yeah, I'll just, I'll just go ahead. And uh, also before we jump into the interview, we want to remind our listeners to follow us on uh, Instagram at After the Smoke Clears Podcast. Uh, DM us your questions, comments, and suggestions because we love incorporating your input into our conversations. And you know, on the plus side, keep an eye out for our for the polls we post on our story. We uh, that's where you can participate and contribute to the topics we discuss. We appreciate your support and engagement as we continue to expand the conversation and the topics we discuss. Since our last episode, we've been keeping busy on TikTok, joining in on the latest trends and sharing some funny videos. Be sure to give us a follow at After the Smoke Clears Pod and keep an eye out for new content to come. Before we get into the topics today, let's go around and say the highs and lows of our week. So anyone want to go first? I'm seeing some no's. Sam, you want to kick us off here like you always do? Do I want to kick us off? You know, that's a really good question, Kerman. And I think, uh, yes, I would like to kick us off. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Sam, only 40 minutes. Keep in mind. Okay. So I'm just going to start off by saying my high, my high of the week was for the first time ever, I went to a legitimate powerlifting gym this past Thursday. And uh, Mm -hmm. that was great because I've never been in that environment before. And it just made everything that I've heard and all the memes and jokes about what powerlifting is come true. And it was honestly a really good, it was honestly a really good, uh, it was a really good experience for me to meet the team and my, and meet my coach for the first time in real life. Uh, Awesome. Transitioning over to my negative though, for my negative of the week, I've just been, it's, it's been more of an every single day thing. I've just been sleep deprived every, every single day. I've been waking up just like in pain from all the heavy lifting. My, my knee, my knee, my mm-hmm. knees have hurt every single day. And I've been running off of like five hours of sleep every single night. I feel you on that. Honestly, it's just like a tiring time of year too. I'm obviously not working trades. I mean, I'm just like doing exams, but I feel really tired all the time right now. It's just like, I don't know. I think it's going around. Oh, I know. Yeah. yeah. Like we're all getting ready for the summer. You know, we're all getting ready to kick, our, to, kick our, to kick off our big activities. So, I mean, for me, my low of the week is kind of my low of the last two months. My low is that my car is, it's got some problems right now. So it basically is just like not moving at all. Like it's, you know, being insured, but it just sits on the side of the street because it likes to lock up the brake sometimes when I'm driving and lock up the wheel. So it's just, you know, not your ideal ride right now. That kind of sucks. For my positive, yesterday was the last day of classes. So I'm almost done this term, which is, you know. Oh, hell yeah. Great. Yeah. Nice. nice. Yeah, that's always a yeah. good feeling, be- being done school and all that. Dude, I know. It's a breath of fresh air every time. All right, Braden, you want to go next? 
So for my high of the week, it's me finishing my first year university at Simon Fraser. Um, my low of the week is we took one of my spring hockey teams to a tournament in Burnaby, and we're not doing too great, but positive out of that is we're still working and we just started. Yeah, yeah. you got to go from somewhere. We'll yeah, start from sure. somewhere. That's awesome. Simone or okay, um, Scott? My high of the week is definitely going back to the gym. Awesome. Yeah. Get him back mm-hmm. in the habit, you know, just staying, staying fit. My um, my low of the week is how it made me feel the next day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 my fucking arms and legs are like so sore. Going back to the gym one single time, and I just I've been in pain since. Yeah, welcome, welcome to my everyday life, Scott. That's literally it. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, Simone, um, I guess my high of the week is probably spending a lot of time with family especially since Easter was around the corner. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I don't really have a low week. I mean, my week's been pretty good. Awesome. Can't really complain. It's good to hear. You can complain about the weather, but... <laughs> <laughs> Scott's like, you can find something. You can find something. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's good. That's no, good. no, that's... Yeah, it's good. I'm glad you've had a good week. All right, now let's get into our discussion on Simone and Brayden's experience playing minor hockey in Vancouver as people of color and the hardships they face as a result. Can you tell us a little bit about your experience in minor hockey, the level you played at, and your experience specifically as a black or brown person in a predominantly white sport? Okay, well, I played rep hockey since peewee because that's when you start deciding whether you want to join competitively. Mm-hmm. Um, I played rep hockey all the way till midget. I also refereed boys hockey, as um, I think your brother's team. And um, <laughs> I was a ref. Um, well, I don't know what the second part of the question is. <laughs> um... I just said your experience as a brown or black person in a predominantly white sport, like in general, we can get into it more, but. Okay, well, I guess it has ups and downs. I mean, being on a white, predominantly white team is challenging, especially if you don't come from privilege. Yeah, definitely. Yep. It uh, was very, it was a very upsetting experience because sometimes you had to um, not pick and choose what you would like to fight for, especially if you mm-hmm. got called out of your name or the yep. N-word at times. Yep. Um, and just knowing that there's no one to back you, especially in the dressing room, was a challenge as well. Yeah, for sure. Braden? So I played almost A1 from peewee to midget. Um, I've had a lot of ups and downs with rep hockey, different coaches, There's a lot of struggles when you have coaches that are of Caucasian descent. Mm -hmm. They tend to lean towards the other Caucasian players, and it's hard to, exactly what Simone said, pick your battles and decide when you want to argue or want to voice your opinion because you are scared that, oh, there's another kid on A2 or on another team that can take your spot, and you're reminded of that every single time you bring up your opinion. Is it is it yeah. really is it really like that is is it really like that tight and everything? You can say one wrong thing and he's like, you know what, you're not white, you're off. Well, I was threatened in U eighteen A one last year, even every time I said something to even defend my me or my teammate, it was Do you wanna take a seat then? 
there's other players that are in a two that want to play that is just that, it, is, that is just rough and you know what that's got to be that must have been to some extent like very infuriating to you just because like yeah. you see them there and you're trying to voice your opinion and something that you're concerned of and they just go off and you know or it's been voiced before because the color of skin they're going to disagree with you just based off of that and they're just going to tell you to shut the hell up just because of that that's got to that's got to be yeah. that's got that's got to be something that pisses you off insanely yeah. oh for sure exactly but what can i do yeah, it's. I mean, it's tough because even if it wasn't like a racial issue, that's what it, the sport is. Like, if you aren't acting in accordance with what the coach wants, yeah, they can do whatever they want. It's just a, like it sucks with race because that's a way that they can abuse that power and say like, all right, if you have an opinion about something that you see wrong, you could be a problem, and we can just get Todd here, who's not going to have anything to complain about. Oh yeah, exactly. Um. <laughs> so. But, uh, oh, sorry, Sam. Do you have anything? Yeah, I do. I do got some. I got, I got someone asked for both Simone, for Moan and uh, and Brain and everything. And I guess like looking at hockey and seeing it is a predominantly white sport. Seeing as we're out here in the West, we're in Canada. So we're in Canada especially. Um, knowing what you guys knew or maybe did not know about ho- about hockey, what made you guys? What made you two want to choose hockey as your as your main sport and as your passion? Well, um, we joined. Well, my family's not a hockey family. My parents didn't play hockey. They came from England. Um, hockey's not very popular there. Okay. We didn't sign up willingly to play hockey. Um, what happened was uh, my sister and I were at a restaurant, and the manager of the restaurant talked to my dad and said, well, why don't you try signing these girls up for hockey? Mm-hmm. And we went to come try hockey, and it was recreational because my parents... Um, put me in a lot of sports when we were younger. Nice, nice. And then once we started to like the sport, we continued to play, and that was mostly because of our friends. The decision to take it seriously was because we spent most of our time on the ice. Okay, yeah. that's awesome. I like that. Braden? Well, mine and Cameron's dad played hockey since he was very young in Fort St. James. So I was kind of born at two, I was on the ice. At three, I was playing hockey. So I started from a very, very young age. So I didn't really have a choice when I was younger, but once I hit five, six, I knew I loved it. I played up a few years, but I would still, if I can go back, play because it taught me a lot of lessons through hockey and through my life. Um, So knowing now that it was a white predominant sport, would I not play? No, I would continue to play for sure. Because if we stop playing now, minorities will never break through that barrier that is can clearly there. Yeah. You have to keep going. As much, if we all sat down and let the white keep going, we're just going to start exactly what happened in the past. And it's going to be a white predominant sport forever. Yeah, we can't exactly, let them yeah. hold it. Well, also, I think, yeah, for me and Brayden, like, we didn't know it was predominantly white walking in. Like, Brayden was skating at, like, what, like, three years old? Like, I don't think... Four, maybe I don't know like With I don't think you we knew what we were walking into obviously dad did because he had already played but like yeah I don't think that I mean answering it a little bit myself I don't think that because it's a predominantly white sport you should be inclined to like quit or not want to do it and be like let me find something that's more my people to be honest we live in a country where I mean for us it's hard for Simone it's even harder what sport do you find where it's just oh all of us here well with no white people white people don't dominate it well adding on to that like our dad we knew it kind of happened but it didn't really sink into it actually happening until 
I was at 13, 14, where I actually yeah. become very good at hockey. Yeah. And then you see where they're trying to hold you back, push you down, make sure you become nothing special. That's when it actually shows up. Mm-hmm. And just adding on to that, yeah, we didn't know it was a predominantly white sport. We just thought, you know, everyone played. But we have to acknowledge that, like, hockey's quite privileged. Like, mm-hmm. you have to have enough money to continue playing on to a sport, yep. which is why um, not a lot of people of color tend to join hockey. Mm-hmm. Just because, you know, the information's not there and no one talks about oh, well, it's going to cost this much each year. And especially if you're playing with your siblings, then it's, like, super expensive. Yeah, the equipment, the sign-up, all of it, you know? So let's move on to the next question. So can you each tell us about a specific time where you were discriminated against because of your race on the ice? What emotions did that bring up for you? Maybe on the ice or just in hockey in general? So I clearly remember a game in Alder Grove. Before a puck even dropped, before the game started, the players on the other side of Caucasian descent were yelling the N-word at me. And I probably got it said to me four or five times. And as being a center, as soon as I lined up, I got it called to me right in front of a ref's face. And I said, did you not hear that? He laughed at me and said, keep talking, I'll give you another penalty. That's fucked up. What? Wow. I go, what? Like, I didn't do anything. I'm just telling you, like, you clearly heard... And he, he gave me a two-minute. And when I'm in the box, like, yeah, with hockey, you have to clear your mind. You have to make sure you're playing hockey. You can't get distracted by factors you can't control. And unfortunately, that's something you can't control. Keep in mind, it shouldn't happen, but it does. And with hockey, you have to stay focused or you're hurting your team. Yeah. And hockey is a team sport. Yep. Yeah. So, Mom? Oh, shit. Uh, that's a good one. <laughs> uh, you know, there's always going to be coaches and teammates who are on the racist side. I mean, I've been called the N-word. Um, I've been called not a team player when I spoke up I, uh, for myself and I fought for my rights as a team member. Um, I remember one incident when I was uh, dealing with some coaches and I didn't want to play forward because they kind of forced me into that position. And I remember being so emotional about it. I was like, yeah, but I don't really want to. I'm a defense. I've been playing defense for six years. Why the fuck am I playing forward? Um, Mm -hmm. And I start crying. And the coach was like, why are you crying for? You're 14. Kind of like Mm -hmm. not allowing me to show emotion. And yet when it's a white girl crying because... You know, she forgot her pads. They're like coddling her. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. asking around, That's passion. trying yeah. to like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So one, one is passionate, and the other one's aggressive. <laughs> yeah, sure. and not a team player. Yeah. Oh like, my god. That I mean, yeah. Obviously, like I played with Simone, so like I saw specific things, like on the ice, off the ice. It's just the problem is not only do the coaches have to treat you the same they have to treat you with a certain level of awareness of what's going to happen to you and to be honest like i just didn't see that level of willingness all the time but uh moving on how has the issue of race impacted your sense of belonging or identity within the context of minor hockey has there been any particular moments that have shaped your perception of race in the sport that's a tough question. These are good questions. Yeah, like, yeah, <laughs> think about that. Uh, we, 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 we put, we put a lot of thought into it. So, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah I can tell. I think repeating it would help. Wanted to too, give you guys some yeah. really good stuff to go off of. Okay, so how has the issue of race impacted your sense of belonging in hockey? Have there been any moments that have shaped your perception of race within hockey? Um, I never really felt like I belonged to the sport. I always felt like an outsider. Um, so has my sister. Like we both dealt with racial tensions on the team. It got to a point where like coaches made it such a bad environment and girls were, you know, mean. Yeah. And it made us start to hate the sport. Uh, my sister, she was bullied last um, her last year of hockey, maybe in like grade ten, and she stopped playing altogether. Um, in those times, it was a hard time to stay on. We both decided like we don't want to play, but we do love the sport. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I was I was definitely aware that I was different. Um, yeah, people made that clear. The treatment that I would receive on the ice would be clear uh, when I refed a game, and I would be refing boys, and I made a, or missed a call. Instead of being like, oh, that's a bad call, ref, they would always bring race into it. So I was very wow. much aware that, like, they didn't really want me here, and I, yeah. you know. You were different. Didn't. Yeah. Mm. That's so wrong. Yeah, well, they always they always do that, because at the end of the day, generally, one thing I've, I've learned about people like that, you know, for you, for you, for you, for you, Simone, everything, people that call, will call your shit just because of the color of your skin, they're fucking, they're fucking lazy, and Two, they're st- and, and two, they're, they're, they're ignorant. They have nothing good to say because that's the most basic thing you can bring up in an argument. Like It's like, oh, don't go for anything tactical. Just bring up their race. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, even what Simone's saying is like they could have said bad call, but instead they turn it to that. And like they just, like all they see you as is on the ice is for Simone, a black person. For us, me and Brayden, a person of color slash sometimes a black person. Yeah. Like I get called the N-word on the ice. I, I, I'm like... I don't understand. I'm just like double checking my skin color again. It's it's yeah. like wild. They can't even make like creative insults. Like it's all just like I like I said. It's you fine. know it's it's lazy and they're ignorant. Yeah, for sure. So moving on to the next. Um, have you ever felt you don't targeted? Want me to answer. Oh, did you not answer? No. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, I thought you God, answered. Now I have to get repeating. Um. How's the issue of race impacted your sense of belonging um, within hockey? Are there any moments that have shaped your perception of race in the sport? For my sense of belonging, growing up in like Vancouver, Richmond area, there is still a lot of minorities on your team. So I do feel like, for me at least, there was a couple people I could go to. But I've played minor hockey for 10 plus years, and I can't name a time where I didn't have a white coach. So when it came to belonging, I was lucky enough to be the goal scorer of the team. So even when they would want to put me down, when it came to those situations where they needed a goal, I would still have to go out and play. When this year, the World Juniors happened for men's, if you actually look on their bench, first for about 15, 20 minutes, me and my buddies are watching at work, a hockey shop, Mm -hmm. trying to find one minority. We couldn't until we saw (laughs) one. There was one on a group of 18 players. And then when I look around and teams I'm playing, Richmond, Vancouver, Burnaby, Chilliwack, Aldergrove, Surrey. Anyway, there's a lot of minorities. Mm-hmm. Asians, Punjabi, Black, uh, Hispanic. There's still so many. And for me, it was so upsetting seeing that how is it all white? 
That made no sense like to me. Like, we can't get to that next level. No, because they're clearly holding you back. They were the, all the coaches were. All the players were. Mm-hmm. And it feels like the only reason they almost put that player there was because they didn't want it fully labeled. Oh, we're racist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, like, tokenize a player. 100%. I mean, even I think about what was that brown kid's name that was at BWC that was always so much better than the other Arshdeep or something? Arshdeep Baines. Yeah, he's on the Abbotsford Canucks now. Like, if Bryson he was one him. of the Italian guys that was on his team, he oh, would have be been in the, in the NHL. NHL already. 100%. But because he's brown, he's had to continue to fight obstacles and continue to work ten times harder, wait years longer than a white kid would have. It's it's devastating. It really is. Um, moving on. Did you ever feel targeted by the opposing team for the color of your skin in a game? Uh, yes. Um we played a game once, and when the game stopped, some girl whacked me in the head with a hockey stick. Yeah. And I turned around, and I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> mm-hmm. It was so, like, out of pocket. The game has stopped. We're all just um, in our different corners, and she starts whacking, and all the players or the coaches were, like, banging on the windows. Glass, yeah. yeah, the glass. And, um Yeah. Did you, did, I felt I was targeted. <laughs> did you uh? Did, did you deck her after that? Yeah, you. Should. I don't I, remember. I, I was. Like, I feel like you aggressed her, like you were upset, but I don't I think was you upset, did anything. But like, what what can you do? The That's only the thing, thing you can do is like hit, and I was like still trying to figure the what yeah, the hell what happened. happened. Yeah. yeah, I mean it puts you in a bad situation too because as we've talked about before, like. If Simone was to hit, it's very different. Or hit someone over the head, right? It's very different than if a white player was to do it. So we also have to still mind our P's and Q's and how we're reacting. So, Brayden? Well, this is the thing. Like, there's a level where the coach wants you to be at if you're a minority. It's not a first, second line kind of guy. It's a third third line or you're a little bit scratched, you're benched. That's where they want you to be. And for a lot of teams, like I said, where I was, I was on the ice a little bit more, and they definitely 100% targeted me. An example of it was even last year, I got called a dirty Hindu by another white guy. Just out of the blue, I scored, and of course I got upset. Why would he say it to me out of the blue for no reason? Mm -hmm. There's no reason to say it to just me unless I was brown and I was one of three brown guys on the team. Yeah. Right? So. Yeah. Um, how did referees handle players from opposing teams treating you differently based on your race? Like from a ref perspective, you can't really tell like if they're treating it. But like if you were to, like let's say you went up to a ref or like a ref asked you what happened and you told them then what? Like what did they... What was the response? Was it good? Was it? Um, I tend to handle my own problems the way I choose to handle them. Mm-hmm. I don't complain. I don't go up to refs. Um, I was playing, or I was refing a game where some girl called, came up to me and said, "Oh, one of the girls called me the N word." As a ref, m- yeah, yeah. As a ref, um, I didn't know how to handle the situation because you're not taught. In the ref book, if somebody comes up and she didn't know who called her it. So um, I went to the coaches or I went to the other team's bench and I was like, okay, 
let's be mindful, but with the things we say, no one should be calling other players the N-word. Mm. It shouldn't happen. And some coach was like, of course you're going to get mad at that. Or of oh course you're going to be upset. Oh my God. You're oh, like, I'm oh. just doing my job. Don't make it about... Again, that's like yeah. another example of just like only seeing you for your color. They're like, well, you would. You're like, would should anyone not? Like, should anyone not address that? That's so messed up. Like, I, I spoke to the girls' team as well, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it wasn't like I was picking sides, but... Yeah. Um, That's yeah. crazy. Brayden? To be honest, I rarely talk to refs, because in my... I don't know. I just felt if I talked to them, it would never go my way. So I just refrain from talking to them as much as I can. Yeah. The only time I really talk to them is never about anything anyone said... Besides that one time, because after that one time in Aldergrove, I rarely talk to a ref about that, because I've been hurt since then. So I only talk if like a teammate gets hit in a really dirty way, then I'll speak up, because I really don't see it changing, to be honest, right now. Yeah. yeah. It just feels kind of, I guess I guess for you at that point, it kind of feels like beating a dead horse in a way, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But then again, if like the captain or assistant captain spoke up, that would have been helpful in a situation. For sure. Wouldn't you find that? Well, like, c- most of the years, that's a by half I had a letter on, being, like, when you're the older kid. Yeah. With that, like, I don't know. Personally, I felt that even if they spoke up, it was going to be like, come on. Like, you're just protecting him. Like, for that reason, like, yeah. you're lying. You're lying. You're just trying to get a penalty. I don't feel like... Like, it's happened a few times where they've supported me, and it just kind of got brushed under the rug. Like, oh, please don't do that, and then we continue with the game. Mm-hmm. Jesus. So, Braden touched on this a little bit more, or a little bit earlier, but how did the lack of brown and black role models, like, high up in the sport impact you? Because I know, like, for the NHL, you know, we don't see a lot of us there. Well, when I was playing, I had a huge crush on P.K. Subban. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I had, we were able to choose um, our jersey numbers one year. I got number 76, and I changed my Instagram to Mrs. Subban or whatever. <laughs> like, that was my guy, you know? Yeah. Um, that being said, people also said a lot of racist things towards Subban. Every time his Every team time. loses, they just blame him. Or yeah, or they would be like, oh, he's too flamboyant. He should be on the ice, you know. He's too much of a character. Um, other than that, there wasn't a lot of black players that I knew. Mm-hmm. Um, now there is, because, you know, you have Sarah Nurse, who played on the women's gold team, and you have a few other black players, mm-hmm. which is good for the younger generation. But, for sure. Um, I didn't really need another role model because P.K. Subban was, uh, yeah, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, now that I think about it, like, I didn't even realize, but, like, I liked Jerome McGinley when I was a kid. That was my favorite player. That's why I was always number 12. I feel like naturally, like, I mean, I'm not black, but he's, like, a person of color within. Like, yeah. I feel like naturally I probably just gravitated towards him because of that. And, like, always was a huge fan of him because of that. It's just nice to see. Even, like, with Manny Maholtra and the Canucks, it sucks he didn't last longer. Well, for me, like, for me and Cameron, we're both Punjabi, and there's one player that's full. 
Jujar on Chicago Blackhawks, and he's been playing for maybe four or five years. That's the only one I ever had. And touching on what Simone said is they prefer, like the NHL, a white person to come and speak about, oh, we're going to get pucks in deep, we're going to do this, we're going to get shots on goal, like very basic things, mm-hmm. instead of like when Ryan Reeves or P.K. Subban or any person that had a little bit of personality, they would call so like they would call names that were so uncalled for just because they had a little bit more personality, mm-hmm. and it was mostly just because they were black. If a yeah. white person did it, oh, they have so much courage. If mm-hmm. anyone of ethnicity said it, mm-hmm. oh, what are they doing? Oh, making a disgrace of the game. Yeah, yeah. they always have. Mm-hmm. They always have their profiles and the rear the word of how they want people to fit them. You know, it's, it's it's pretty it's pretty sad to see even even in sports that it's persisting to this day. Yeah, no, for sure, yeah, for sure. Um, did racial discrimination in hockey ever make you want to walk away from the sport altogether? Yeah, I wanted to quit every year. I think wow. after Peely, I was always like, yeah, I'm going to quit this year. This is my time to quit. And we would always have conversations in the car with my dad. And I'd be like, yeah, dad, I don't want to play hockey anymore. Fuck Aww. these girls, you know. Yeah, no, literally. <laughs> Respectfully. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, you know what? Fuck you guys. I'm going I'm gonna go home. Um, yeah. But, you know, I like the sport. I don't like the drama around the sport, and I just feel like if you like the sport, stay in the sport. If you don't like your team, move, and that's what exactly. I Exactly. You moved? Yeah, I, in Peewee, or no, maybe Bantam, when I dealt with a lot of racism, I moved from rep to house, and I okay. played Bantam, or no, I played midget house yeah. the first year, and that's how I knew all the girls that played in our year. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like for me, like, with that, because I was obviously on her team as well, like, I left Angels because I'm like, I want more competitive hockey, but also, like, you know, I thought it might be different as well. Yeah, North Shore was even worse. Like, North Shore was all really, really, really white people. I think I was the only person of color on my whole team. And, like, yeah, I felt so out of place. So it's just, it's, I don't know. But I agree with you that, like, even though it's hard you shouldn't quit because other people have made you to feel that way if it's something that you love. And that's, you know, it's a struggle that we have to face that white players don't. Yep. With me, to be honest, hearing the stories of uh, my dad, other Punjabi players like Robbie Bawa, and just hearing their stories and how much they've gone through, I can tell you it's better for me than it was for them. And if I, this is what one of them said to me, is if I just sit down and let them keep going, it's going to stay a white sport. Mm -hmm. It's going to be that way forever. But if we keep pushing through these barriers, Mm -hmm. then we can finally one day say, okay, it's an even match. Like if there's a white kid just as good and a black and a brown, you know what? then they're going to be picked evenly. And right now we're not at that time. Mm -hmm. But I believe if we keep pushing like everything else in life, there will become equality in hockey. There's equality in basketball, football to some extent, I would say. Yeah. And it definitely needs to... Yeah, exactly. It definitely needs to come into hockey. And if you just say, I'm going to quit, it's not going to happen. And 
it may not happen for mine, but if my kids get it, it's worth it for me. Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, we're working for something bigger, just like, to be honest, people of our backgrounds have been doing as long as time. We're all working for the next generation to have it better. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, Okay, next one. Did you ever resent the white players on your team for not having the same hardships as you? No. Personally, I didn't. I was definitely jealous of them to a certain extent because I wanted that same thing. But at a certain age, when uh, roughly, I always go back to 13, 14, is when I realized it wasn't going to happen for me. And I never resented them. I just felt envious of them. Mm-hmm. Simone? Um, no, I don't think I did. I mean, obviously. Um, yeah, I don't think I resented the team. I probably accepted the fact that yeah. they weren't going to go through what I went through and that's what made me fight harder because my sister obviously is younger and she's gonna obviously be at this level and I didn't want her to feel like Mm -hmm. she had no one to you know support her so I didn't Mm -hmm. resent them I resented how ignorant they were at times I resented that they didn't educate themselves or you know yeah, I don't know. Like, no, I know what you're saying. You, mm-hmm. you need to do the, you need to learn. Like, yeah, you need to have the social awareness. Yeah, if I'm getting on. called the N word by five players and some adults, you shouldn't be sitting there and watching me get called the N word. Mm-hmm. You should have, 100%. you should apologize or at least make me feel like I'm accepted on this team. And at times there's totally. always been, it was always me. It always felt like it was us versus me at times yeah i mean like when i think back to you being called things on the ice i feel like when i really remember it it was just you and me talking about it like you would Mm -hmm. tell me or i would be there or i would be the one like nobody else thought it was as wrong as we did or paid attention to it maybe like sometimes i guess they felt awkward they didn't know what to say but how is it hard to say like yo that shouldn't have happened yeah you know i feel like that wasn't a conversation at least, I mean, not for me, I could say I felt comfortable having with everyone on the team. I would just go to Simone because I knew that, you know, she got it. Yeah, and I find that other minorities who grow through similar experiences, mm-hmm. they're always the ones who are vocal, whereas white women tend to be more, you know, quiet yeah. to themselves, not going to stand up for yep. the yep. group. Agreed. All right, so for Simone, we talked about this a little, but I know you have a younger sister that played that played minor hockey as well. Um, You said a little bit about her quitting, but did she have similar experiences to you and were you able to give her advice or discuss your negative experiences with her before she had her own? Um, When I went through a really rough patch, especially on the team in Bantam, where there was a lot of hockey politics involved and it was blatant racism, Mm -hmm. um, my sister did not understand what was going on or the concepts of why this was wrong. So mm-hmm. she took the side of the coaches and the, oh, wow. and her team, right? So that created a rift in our household because I was like, come on. Yeah. You can't be this dumb. <laughs> she's smarter now. Okay. She's good, guys. <laughs> I'm like, gotta, come on. Gotta, gotta yeah, be honest. Gotta be honest with them. Yeah, yeah. Like it was bad. Like yeah. I went into depression because it was just such a rough experience where 
I was contemplating everything and she was on the other side. That being said, when she grew up a little bit older, she actually started learning as to what racism actually was and discrimination. And she started to be more educated on that subject. So when she went through her own racism on the team, I was there to, you know, stand up for her. I'll always stand up for my sister. You know, that's my sister. Yeah. Yeah. She's lucky to have you. I mean, you know, it's more than someone like you had is, you know, you had no one really to but also, show you that same thing. We as a hockey family or we as a family did not expect like mm-hmm. racism could happen in hockey. So we weren't Yeah. You know. You didn't jump into it thinking that. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Um okay. For both of you, would you encourage other brown or black people to play hockey after the experiences you've had? Yes. Hockey's a great sport. Mm-hmm. Um, I encourage every black and brown child to go play hockey. It's mm-hmm. fun. Um, forget about the negative experiences. There's going to be racism and negative experiences everywhere. Mm-hmm. You just need to have a good family support system and you need to be aware of it. But you also need to just have fun because hockey's just such a great sport. Right, right. Yeah, I agree. Brayden? I would encourage every black, brown, any kid of minority to join hockey. You should not be afraid just because mm-hmm. they are doing it. It doesn't matter. You still have to work. And hockey is a great, great sport. It keeps a lot of kids out of trouble in high school. And with this program that we've made for spring, it's helped many kids that were pushed down just because of their ethnicity. And it allows them to be themselves and have that support system even going back into minor hockey the next season being okay i've dealt with this before now i have someone to contact and see how i can proceed and someone is in their corner so finding that place that will support you whether it's family friends or even a coach because it definitely will happen you'll find that one person that will help you Mm -hmm. and that's what you need because i don't think we should stop we should never stop yeah also, i agree i think it's the only way to change it like the only way you're gonna ever yeah exactly the only way you're gonna change it is by getting more and more people of color playing the sport mm-hmm. yeah right um while there were negative experiences were there any positive experiences you had throughout minor hockey based on your race i mean not based on race my dad worked as a or volunteered as a fundraising person was in the angels yep so he did a lot of come try hockey events um, he put on an event where my sister's team got to play against kids who were disabled and mm-hmm. um, wouldn't actually get to experience hockey at a very competitive level. So they got to play against my sister's team. And wow. he used to say that like the kids' parents were crying because they never thought that their child would be able to play hockey yeah. with other kids that are competitive. Um, he yeah. also like did a few fundraisers where he brought New Zealand girls over and we got to play and practice with them. So a lot of positive opportunities um, came yeah. from him working in, with the Angels to mm-hmm. be a more uh, to include other people that we might not see on the ice or mm-hmm. play with or socialize with in our daily lives. And those were the positive experiences I took from hockey. Mm-hmm. I think you had a great dad, like, yeah. for the experiences that you were going to go through. Like, you're, he was such a nice guy, such a caring guy, compassionate, very
very like um yeah passionate to have his daughters in it have them have a good time make sure everyone was so like you know i remember that yeah and as a white guy exactly he was very like outspoken like when we dealt with race on the team he was the one yelling at other parents yep, because it was unfair. Mm-hmm. They probably called him a few things, but because he created mm-hmm. such a positive environment where we felt secure in talking about race, we mm-hmm. were able to. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Very true. Yeah. Brayden? It's a little difficult to respond to that question. The reason I say is because when I look back into my minor hockey, I can't find a specific moment where I was like, okay, I felt supported by anyone else but my family mm-hmm. because I didn't have a coach that was a minority for almost, I think the whole thing. I think I had one assistant coach that was Asian, but even at that, the head coach made fun of him, so mm-hmm. he really didn't get to speak. Um, I think your the, positive experience is probably dad then. One hundred percent. But that's where when things went sour for me, it was always he knew what was happening. He knew how to handle it. And that was where there's a little relief. I knew it was gonna the next steps and I knew it was kinda gonna happen and I knew how to push myself. Mm-hmm. So this is where coaching for me comes into play is now that I have these lessons I learned from him mm-hmm. and from a few other players that I can teach them now because I had a 15 year old this year on U18 he barely got played I won't get into the reasons of that and what I think but he was broken he would, thought it was all about his race he he just wasn't the same person at school he was acting out at home he was acting out beat him down yeah for sure you could see when he would walk normally he would be a happy kid he would be Mm -hmm. playful but he was just sour his parents would talk to me but being able to help him this year is so rewarding when you coach it's definitely one thing i love and will continue doing even while i play Mm mm-hmm so I got to say that's my reward. Yeah. And that's my best experience with modern hockey. So, yeah, I think it's, it's kind of like tying into what Simone said originally, which was like a good support system with your 100%. family and like paving a different future. Exactly. Like that's what you're doing by changing it and by like working with other players. That's yeah. what her dad was doing by advocating for change. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Okay, so um, – if you could speak to the associations at large about the experience of a brown or black player in minor hockey, what changes would you want them to make? Changes, number one, don't be taking pictures of your black players and saying yes. that it's diverse. Mm-hmm. Unless you do the actual work in providing a safe environment for your black and brown children or black players, players. then, mm-hmm. you know... Don't be posting us on pictures or writing news reports. Yeah. Yeah. Or like, you know, standing behind us when we go through racism with the other team. You need to do the work inside your organization. There shouldn't be an incident where people are getting bullied on the team and they're asking for help and you guys are not doing anything. Mm -hmm. So do stuff, be active and support your players. Yeah. Simple as that. That's well, right. The best way to describe that is it's a fascia to a building. You see this beautiful thing on the outside, but you don't know if it's rotten on the inside. Mm-hmm. You see 
two, three minorities on this thing, but you don't realize, oh, where are they on the lineup? Oh, they're fourth line. Oh, he's a scratch player. Exactly. They just, they just you know. okay, we're going to take them just to make them our poster boys. Tokenizing. Not, yeah. Exactly. So when I look back at it, the things I would want changed is I could start seeing it now, a few more minority coaches, because yes. I don't know how you go through 10 plus years of minor hockey and don't get one head coach that's a minority. And mm-hmm. that is a clear problem because this will continue unless that can be a breakthrough for us. Yeah. Um, that's one. The second thing is refs, I think, even touching on need to be trained on how to handle certain situations mm-hmm. because they can. And one even thing I just thought of this is have a voice recording for the refs, just like police officers have, because I feel like it does happen to a lot of players, even the ones I talk to. You get, oh, like it's nothing. But really, they should be responding into it properly. Like body cams, so they would be accountable. Exactly. They have to be accountable for the actions, and it limits the fact that race still can't play into their decision. It's by the book, just like laws are. Yep. The rules in hockey are just like laws. They got to make sure it's followed, and it's not followed right now. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think it needs to be changed. Also, the locker room. Yeah. The locker room has to have people in it watching it. This too deep rule is okay. There's definitely better things we can do. Yeah. Yep. Oh, and I think um, don't rely solely on parent coaches. Bring other coaches yeah. in. Because a lot of favoritism happens because they've given birth to one of the players yes. and now they're supporting these players. So yes. having different coaches from different backgrounds would probably make a lot of people's experiences a lot better. As for refing, you need to be more diverse. Mm-hmm. You need to have rules mm-hmm. on diversity. I shouldn't have to change my hairstyle up to be more professional. I should be able right. to wear my natural hair and still be considered professional. Um, yep. So, yeah. Yeah, and as you said earlier, like, if the refing book or whatever you're learning from has nothing about how to deal with racial issues, that should change. Because that's, like, a, it's always been a thing on the ice. That's something that is a huge part of it. So, I don't know Well, why she's a minority, and she didn't even know how to react to it. Exactly. That shows <laughs> exactly. the fact that they're not teaching it. Mm-hmm. Because I guarantee you, if they teach me or even her... We would be the people listening, going, mm-hmm. yep, that's how you do it. She didn't know. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Even as a player, yeah. you don't really know how the refs are supposed to react, right? No, yeah. the, all that's really said is a gross misconduct now, but it's so unclear. It's basically, it's a racial comment and then yeah. uh, sexual orientation comments, stuff like that. Yeah. It's, it's very... But there's nothing... On, there's nothing on like how to react when a player comes and tells you what happened. They're not taught that. And mm-hmm. I don't blame the ref for that. I blame the people above them. Yeah, whoever made that. They've made a very loose, like, very loose guideline system. You know, it's very, easy, it's yeah. very easy to manipulate. Yeah. All right, so last question. So while you have both described minor hockey... Um, that part portion of your life is rough for different factors or reasons. I wonder now that the smoke has cleared from those negative experiences and it's in your past, how do you feel now looking back on those experiences? What do you think you learned about yourself in those times? 
I don't think I've gotten over how I was treated on the ice, mm -hmm. um, which is why I take therapy to um, yep. obviously not feel what I'm feeling. Mm -hmm. I think some comments that were made in the dressing room has stayed with me. And especially when I got sick, um, they used to call me like lazy or, you know, they, they used to call me lazy or like not a team player, or not a hard worker. And when I was in a space where I couldn't do things because I was ill, um, I used to punish myself because I remember the comments that were mm -hmm. made back when I was a child. Yeah, so, um, they stick with you. Yeah. I try to get over things. I don't have resentment to other players, but I do remember certain comments that affect my life right now. Yeah, for sure. For me, it's one word, resilience. You have to be resilient. Like when I look back at minor hockey, I see a lot of bad memories, but they also are a little bit of a blur. I remember when I was about 9, 10, 11, I was doing therapy because a coach, um, he kicked me onto the ice and would hit me on the head. And it was a huge thing. Yeah. And these things kept on happening. It was I wasn't the only player. And I remember being afraid to go onto a bench with a different coach because I didn't know, oh, is he going to snap? Is he going to treat me differently? So when I look back on minor hockey at the younger ages, it was more of a fear of being hurt mm -hmm. physically. But when I started 13, 14, like I say, when I started to become good, mm -hmm. it was the worry, oh, I'm going to be held back. Yeah. But I did have a good support system, which I do think helped me through it. And it was fun because even though it is predominantly a white sport, there was still, like for me at least, a, quite a few minorities on each team I played in because I played in for Bantam and Midget, which is U15, U18, was uh, Richmond and Thunderbirds. So there's a lot of minorities, Asian, Bajabi, there's uh, even Japanese. So I do feel like there was a lot of minorities to support me in that aspect. But it all comes down to if there's five, six kids that are white, they're going to pick those five, six kids that are white. Yeah. So what I also learned about myself was that I definitely want to give back. I've always mm -hmm. been stressed as a player. Oh, what happens when my career's over? When I can't play anymore, what will I do? I've always scared. Oh, will I love coaching? Will I not? I definitely do. That's one thing I've learned about myself through minor hockey because I was an on-ice helper when I was 16 and 17. Mm -hmm. And coming into coaching at 18, I love it. I love being able to give back to these players yeah. and these other kids that are been through what I've been through but now have a coach in the corner I like to think yeah that's my best favorite part of minor hockey for sure yeah I think that's really meaningful and I'm like very excited to see what ends up happening and what you do with that as years go on mm -hmm. um anything else you want to add to that last question no oh I guess the yep. thing that I learned about myself is that I'm able to stand up for what's right. Mm -hmm. I'm able to stand up for people who don't have a voice. It's why I'm in the profession that I'm going into. It's why I studied the degree that I'm in. Um, I learned that I'm a very strong individual and not a lot of things bother me anymore. Yeah. And what degree are you? I don't even know, actually. Um, I, I am in a master's program. I am studying 
A master's in criminal justice with a concentration of cybersecurity and cybercrime investigations wow. from the wow. University of hmm. or Boston That's University. Awesome. Wow. wow. That's uh, yeah. amazing. Did <laughs> you do my, an undergrad? Yeah, I got my bachelor's from Justice Institute. I finished in December um, for law enforcement studies. Wow. So you're going to get out there and make real change with your feelings and what's oh, happening? Yeah. God, I hope so. <laughs> no, you will. It sounds 100%. like. Well, congratulations for that. that is we a are. Huge achievement. I'm well, really excited to see what you do with that exactly. for sure. I wanted to extend a thank you to both of you, Brayden and Simone, before we continue for sharing your experiences and invaluable insights with us, and for shedding light on very important issues. Now that we have discussed both of your experiences with racism and minor hockey, let's turn our attention to Simone's unique perspective and experience growing up and living in Vancouver as a black person. So first, starting off, can you tell us a little bit about your family and your background? Um, both my sister and I are adopted. We were born in Savannah, Georgia. Um, my parents are from England, so when they came over, they decided they wanted to adopt, and mm -hmm. they were blessed with some amazing <laughs> children. <laughs> like, God's sake. <laughs> Couldn't have gotten more wow, luckier, did they right? Get <laughs> yeah, I mean, I look at my cousins and I'm like, wow. <laughs> but, yeah, um... Yeah, we came over by airplane and obviously graced everyone here yeah, by living right. in Vancouver. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Um, what were the positives and negatives of growing up as a black person in Vancouver? Positives, growing up black is quite cool. I mean, that's right. I love my culture. I love being black. I can't imagine any being any other race mm -hmm. oh, yeah. so um th that's a positive <laughs> yeah i didn't have any identity issues like i i am proud i'm a proud black person awesome. um yeah, negatives oh, is yeah. it's quite lonely yeah exactly it's quite lonely there's not a lot of black people in vancouver mm -hmm. if you're at school you're the only ones if you're in sports you're the only ones and if you're doing whatever else you're probably going to be the only one so yeah yeah. Can you share a specific challenge that you encountered as a result of your racial background growing up and like how you navigated it? Uh, God, that's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've always dealt with racism. So when I played hockey, it wasn't new. Um, I was bullied because I was black. I was bullied because of my hair. I was bullied because of the color of my skin. It started at a young age and then it kept going yeah um, i think i learned the n-word at school so wow yeah my sister on the other hand used to also get bullied so growing up it was just like people were making fun of you because of the race your race your culture your skin color your hair things you yeah. can't change yeah um so yeah i guess relating to that then what was your school life like did you ever feel ostracized well, I definitely feel like an outsider. I was the only black kid in high school. Mm -hmm. um, there were some black girls, but they were in an, a year above me, and I was quite shy, so I didn't really go socialize. But I think people expected you to be a certain type of person. Mm -hmm. So 
when they were when we would get into arguments they would be clapping in my face kind of like acting like this is real housewives of atlanta like what they yeah. think acting yeah very ghetto like. moving their head like yeah 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 you know? oh, and i'm just standing there like yeah okay yeah <laughs> okay what's going on <laughs> yeah but yeah a lot of people seem to misunderstand you a lot and they try to expect you to react a certain way so when you don't they're like yeah they put you in a box really yeah. of like that's what you're supposed to be because you're black or whatever yeah okay so if you were ever called a racial slur how did your teachers handle it or like employer or whatever wherever it was at like growing up if they heard it i mean i guess like not i know well. that you're not the person to <laughs> they didn't handle it well yeah um, i assumed <laughs> you know i got called the n-word you know teachers weren't given the tools to be able to deal with these certain situations and mm -hmm. it's not like they were of minority they were a minority so it's not like they understood what was going on yeah um so you didn't really feel supported by your teachers but my mom is jamaican and she told everyone what, what was what and yeah. she bursted in schools and stood up for me and that's what i needed at that age yeah i think that was the experience for me too it was like i didn't really know and my teachers didn't really know, yeah, but my parents were willing to just run in there and be like, this is how it has to be. Yeah. Um, so what hobbies did you have growing up? Did you play any sports beside hockey? I know you said you did. You, yeah. Yeah, so before hockey, I did gymnastics. I did skating lessons. I played piano. Um, I do tennis. Um I do powerlifting. Literally everything. I did boxing. Yeah. <laughs> I did boxing. I was on the school basketball team. I was on yearbook. I did cadets. I'm good at cooking and baking just for oh, everyone yeah. who doesn't know. <laughs> oh, I can make a real nice tiramisu. You know? She really does it all. Yeah, oh, I do yeah. it all. Simone, because, Simone, you know, Simone, you Simone's out here being Simone's out here being the Swiss Army woman. She knows what's up. <laughs> well, yeah, she's yeah. a Renaissance woman. Swiss she can do it all. I took an auto class once. I know how to change <laughs> oh, my oil. It just keeps coming. Nice, it does, nice. She knows how to change her own oil, it too. Stop. Yeah. yeah, that's right. We did a lot as kids. Um, my parents believed in introducing us to different skills, so we never felt limited. Um, we also pl did swimming. I mean, yeah, that's oh. awesome. Yeah. I mean, it helps you figure out what you like enjoy, too, just trying everything. Yeah. So that's awesome. Oh, and um, I did cadets, just in case. Yeah. <laughs> oh, nice. I remember that. Oh, there we go. <laughs> um, were there more black spaces within Vancouver in your childhood or now? Um, I was more aware of black spaces now because we obviously have social media and I'm in a lot of black Vancouver groups. Mm -hmm. Um as a child, my parents used to introduce us to black culture by taking us to like African expos and Caribbean fests in Surrey. Mm -hmm. Like the jerk chicken is really good. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. That's my favorite. Like I like going for the food. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so my parents made a decision to introduce us to a lot of black culture mm -hmm. in Vancouver. So I was pretty much aware of what was happening because they would take us to places. Yeah. Do you feel like there's a lack of like affinity spaces for black people to build a community in Vancouver? Um, well, we did have a strong, prominent community, right. like 
we had Hogan's Alley, which was a prominent black community in Vancouver. Um, but once we built, or once the government decided to build the viaducts, which connects mm-hmm. Georgia and Dunsmere, that community broke yep. and dispersed and people had to find a different place to live. Fun fact, Jimi Hendrix's grandmother lived in... There's uh, a photo of Jimi Hendrix. I heard Hendrix. that, yeah. There's a painting on one of the buildings Yeah, there, exactly. Because that's the building he used to live in, I think. Yeah. yeah. So there was a prominent black community. Um, if that stayed intact, there would be a lot more black people in Vancouver today. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it was like deliberately erased, and that's kind of the... Yeah. yeah. Chinatown would Shame look a lot is... different. It would. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's kind of like the Africa shame... town. I don't <laughs> yeah, know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It is really. Sad. It is really sad to see like African, like the African culture, like the little bit there was in Vancouver, you know, slowly erased, erased, erased over time. Because, like, uh, it's, it's just like it's 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 a very in, it's a very interesting culture from my brief experiences with it, and having a few mm-hmm. like a few black coworkers. So you know, I I see I see what you mean, Spawn. I really I really wish that had stayed in Vancouver. Yeah, so that's a shame for sure. Um, did you ever wish that you could grow up in a different place than Vancouver? If so, why? I always wanted to live in Toronto. Mm-hmm. I don't like my family, like my cousins and aunties that much to stay in Toronto. Mm-hmm. But as a child, I used to love going to Toronto because it has a black community and it's a big black culture there and you can go get jerk chicken mm-hmm. oh damn you really <laughs> you like jerk chicken, jerk chicken huh? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know too. fun I'm fact i went vegan yeah, i went vegan like for chicken. two years and i was like missing that chicken yeah the jerk chicken turned you that back. being said not every black person likes chicken so don't be listening to this and oh yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> you're just oh, like God. jerk chicken's my vibe i'm making that clear <laughs> like it's not like you know i was vegan for two years come yeah. on now yeah. Um, but um, yeah, I used to love going to Toronto because of the black community and the food. And mm-hmm. my family also loved being in Toronto and we wanted to stay. But like, obviously, coming back to Vancouver, you notice that you're the only one. Yeah. Whereas you can camouflage in Toronto. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. true. More of a place to like belong yeah. and fit in. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um,. Do you feel that you have been specifically targeted or profiled as a result of your skin color skin color within Vancouver? Like ever? Yes. Um, for summer camp, we went to Nat Bailey Stadium, which is a baseball stadium mm-hmm. for those who don't know. Um, I was in summer camp. We, we were in a line. Um, they weren't checking bags. The security guard walks to the bottom of the line, grabs my bag, opens my bag, pours all my shit all over the ground, kicks it with his foot. What? And I don't know what he was looking at. I mean, I just started my period, so I was, like, a little self-conscious. Yeah. I didn't know what was going on. I was frozen. My friends were like, yeah, this is this is racism. This is racial profiling. Yeah. Security guard gets up, starts running in a different direction, and, you know, I'm left with a bad memory going to Nat Bailey. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. That is... I haven't been ever since. Yeah, fair enough. They yeah. traumatized you out of it. Like that is not okay. And I don't really like baseball, so. Yeah, yeah. you're like I'm chilling. I'll just stay the fuck <laughs> away from that. Do you guys have anything you want to ask about like that specifically? Because that's a very. 
I don't know. I feel like I've gone to Nat Bailey Stadium a lot of times. I've never seen any, that happen to anyone before. So yeah. it's really appalling that to know mm-hmm. that that happens in Vancouver. Yeah. Not much. Not much of a baseball fan, but I mean, yeah, like like Scott said, that is that that's pretty like shocking that that would happen in like in a public in a public space at a baseball game, like just to you, just for yeah. be, just just for be, just just for being black, like. I don't know what the per- what the person what they what they thought they were going to get out what they what they what they were going to get out of doing that to you, so mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I think like that's what like whenever sorry go ahead Sam yeah no just whenever I hear about shit like that happening it just comes as like even though we know that we know that happens in the world it always still comes as a shock to me in this day and age just how people can be how they can stoop to that level to make to turn someone's skin into an issue into a into into a more so into a personal issue for themselves where they go to that length terrorize someone that much yeah whereas mm-hmm. i don't really give a fuck on who's there or not like i wouldn't go judge somebody based on the color of their skin or be so interested in what's in their bag unless i am a security guard doing a like, but uh, being a TSA at the airport, yeah. yeah. But then you're interested in everyone's bag, not just you know the yeah, black person that's, that's in the line or in the room. Yeah. Like, it's like I, I mean, it just, it's just very mind-boggling that now, even in this day and age, people still people still judge with traits such as skin character opposed to overall character traits as a person, as as for, for who for like for who they actually are as a person. Yeah. I think it's important to have these kind of conversations about this because I feel, I don't know, what I see in media, we talk a lot more about this being prevalent in America, but I think, like, people don't realize that it happens a lot here, too. Like, you know, my dad will tell me about experiences like that, too, where he's at the airport or, you know, he's going through a line, and, of course, he gets pulled out. He gets taken to secondary. My grandpa's been told, or not my grandpa, people in my family have been told, like, take your turban off, which is not something... That is like yeah. um, culturally culturally appropriate. You're not supposed to do that. Also, it would be very hard to put back. Like, it's just a multitude of things. But seeing these things happen and then not seeing that really reflected or talked about in media, it's frustrating because, yeah, it is like happening and it's yeah. not okay. And especially like I think us Canadians tend to compare what's happening in the States and we're like, oh, it's not that bad here. Uh, mm-hmm. It doesn't happen. But yeah, it does. It's very prevalent within mm-hmm. Canadian society. Yeah. Um, there's a reason why people don't trust law enforcement in Canada, especially right. black and indigenous communities. Mm-hmm. There is a long history of that. And because um, I'm doing the degree that I'm doing, mm-hmm. I have to read up on this history. Mm-hmm. So um, <laughs> yeah, there is some fucked up shit people have done to people of color and it's very important that we as a society not downplay their experiences because they're valid and they should be shared yeah no absolutely how has not having a lot of people around that are black as well in spaces within vancouver influenced your feeling of like connection or isolation to vancouver to those experiences like how has that impacted you well, socially, I don't have a lot of black friends. It's just because there's not a major black community here. Mm-hmm. Um, growing up, I used to feel very isolated because, you know, I'd be expecting them to talk about black history. So we learn about our own culture and Canadian history because mm-hmm. obviously we have a culture in Canadian history. Mm-hmm. Um, 
every time Black History Month happens or we're talking about race, we tend to skip over Black history. And Mm -hmm. it used to really bother me as a child because I'm Canadian. I don't know much about my culture. And it took me and my sister and my mom to research about our own history in order for us to be aware of our history in Canada. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's very isolating when you don't have a lot of black people in schools in your daily environment. Yeah. And even when you do, I'm sure they're in the same boat as you where they don't know as much. They don't, they might not know about their own community either. Yeah. It's a shame. I think it's Mm -hmm. painful too, to have like our history mistold. Like for me, it's a little different. Like I feel like, I obviously there wasn't I don't know growing up in education there wasn't a lot of like or enough talk about the minority presence in Canada like the impact that we've had but when it was told it was mistold like I remember learning about like the Kamigata Maru the ship that was like um I think it was in Vancouver's Bay or something and they turned it away Oh, I don't know where. Yeah, yeah. I was in Can- in a bay in yeah. Canada trying to get with a bunch of immigrants trying to get on. And anyways, just the stories were horribly mistold in our textbook. And it was, did it totally, how do I say this? Like, it was the total opposite of what I learned from my family, from my temple, from my elders. So it was just, like, disheartening. And also, like, relating to what Simone's sister said about, like, um the association and believing them as a child because you don't know any better that's what it was for me like for a certain amount of years i didn't know that those books were wrong i didn't know who to believe i you know are you more inclined to believe somebody's story or a textbook yeah (laughs) so there were years where i believed the book and yeah it's just it's saddening for me i don't know if that one that's like isolating it's just saddening and it's saddening to know that everyone else in that room was being told a lie about my history yeah. For my, mm-hmm. you know, people's yeah. history. Yeah. Well, you know, it's like they, it's like they like to say in everything. History is written by the victor, and the victor is the is whoever, whoever, whatever power runs over the country. So they write it that way <laughs> because they want to make the because they want to make the country look good. But I think we need, yep. to, I think we need to stop going for just what looks good and everything, and what act and going in the direction of what actually is proper and what will actually give us like the full context, the full details, and. You know, it, it's not. It, it shouldn't just be oh, Canadian history or Black history or like Asian history. It should just be history in general, and we learn all about that because they're all. It's all part of the umbrella term history. Yep. Yeah, and my mom's doing a very good job of that because she works in a school, and every time there's like a history month or there's Orange Shirt Day or there's Indigenous history or Chinese, she would always um, put books and stuff where people feel seen because when you're walking by and you're looking at this cupboard you see all these indigenous books and written by indigenous people and you see all the Mm -hmm. um their stuff as well as in black history you're seeing all these people who did great things in Mm -hmm. canada and um the children who walk by especially like the minorities who walk by, they always feel like they're seen because they're seeing their culture, you know, in the, yeah, Yeah. reflected, which is not something that they're used to. Mm -hmm. So at least they can go back. And if they think about their time at her elementary school, they're like, yeah, 
yeah. we felt represented. This is what we saw. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yep. Yeah, I think that's a beautiful thing, too. Like, I think, I don't know. It makes me feel good that people in the future, especially or people now, are having a better experience with that than, it, than even we did. Yeah. Um, okay, so we talked about this a little, but I'm curious to hear more about it. So socially, have you ever felt external pressure to conduct yourself a certain way according to your race in order to appease others? Like that people expected you to act a certain way or they wanted you to or put you in that box? Well, I'm a very shy person. It's something people don't know about me because I come across very uh, energetic, especially back in the day. I mm-hmm. used to be very welcoming and, you know. Extroverted. Yeah. Almost like seeing Nothing yeah. bothers me. I'm going to put on a happy face. Mm-hmm. Obviously, a lot bothered me in that time. Mm-hmm. And I remember... I remember like editing myself down to make sure that I'm presenting the best version of myself and I'm yeah. not speaking out of ter- uh, tongue mm-hmm. and I'm making sure that the way people see me is how I want to be seen mm-hmm. by those people. Mm-hmm. What they were seeing was not the reality of who I am. Mm-hmm. My family knows who I am because I'm able to express myself. Yeah the way I want to express myself whereas at school at hockey I'm very much you know not letting anything bother me mm-hmm. and I'm very much catering to their expectations of what they see for me now I'm an adult I act the way I act mm-hmm. and that's because I choose to act the way I act yeah. I mean, obviously yeah. I still do edit myself in certain situations but Mm-hmm. It's good. You, you know. said, would you say you feel more like empowered to be exactly who you are and try to edit yourself like less now than you did when you were younger? Yeah, because I really don't give a fuck about people's feelings. Hell yeah, yeah. That's how like I am too. and what they say about me, like mm-hmm. you know, what they can say, like oh yeah, she was a total bitch back in grade ten. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, we're you didn't here. really get the version of me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I think it takes like a certain age and like age, maturity, confidence to just step into it and say, you know what? Like, I'm going to stop doing what I think will make other people happier, more comfortable, whatever. And I'm just going to start living for me or yeah. like, you know, start, you know, just being who I want to be that day or whatever I want to be. Like, I think that that's. Just a, you know, it's just a part of getting older, and it's really cool. Yeah, but those who still do it in high school, um, my therapist says it's a way of surviving because, sure. especially being the only person, you feel like you need to pick and choose your battles, and a lot of the time that's what we did. Um, so don't feel discouraged or upset just because I said that previously. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, to a certain extent, I would agree. Yeah, it's like coping. It's just, mm-hmm. yeah. It's easier to say like something that's less. It's gonna come off like less problematic than saying what you really feel or whatever it is in certain situations. Is just you know, wait, get out of them, find your people when you're older, and you can step yeah. into yourself. I think. Yeah. Um, okay. Did you ever feel tokenized by non-black people in Vancouver? In what sense? 
I guess like it's very open, like any sense, like kind of like how you were talking about, um, like um, taking a picture of a black person that's on a team and calling that diversity or yeah. like um, another thing I can think of for me, like in a class, if we were talking about Indian history or something, everyone in the room is looking at me because, you know, yeah. I'm the brown one in the oh, room. Oh, God. We didn't have like that, that kind experience. Of <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, nobody was like, oh, Simone, how do you feel about this? Because we didn't really talk about black culture, and that yeah. should say a lot about our education system. For sure. Um, but I did feel like socially people kept coming towards me and trying to befriend me. And then once they befriend me, they're like, oh, but can I say the N-word? Let me, yeah. can, oh. I, can, yeah. can you give me permission to say the yeah. N-word? Yeah. Like, you know how many conversations I've had? Yeah. <laughs> Even in college, people are like, oh, can I say the N-word? What the? <laughs> yeah, they're like, just. It's also like, what makes yeah. you special? <laughs> like, it's like out of, out of all the questions to ask me, you chose that one fucking question. Seriously, it's just like tokenize me more, like degrade me to just my skin color more. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. and for future reference, don't be asking me if you can say the N word. I just say say it if you want to. Um, That's your business. That's your business. I'm gonna judge you, but I won't say that I'm judging you. But I'm aware that you're, you know, a certain type of thing. Yeah, yeah, and that and and that's good because that is the very basis of fuck around and find out. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I might be quiet and shy now, but I can throw a punch if I need to. See, that's what I'm saying. That's the Simone I remember from the ice right there. Rebecca. (laughs) Simone Simone the the boxer. She'll take your ass out. That's what I'm saying. But I'll do it respectfully. And I'll be nice about it. I'll send you a card if you're in the hospital. <laughs> but I'll let you throw the first punch and then, you know. Yeah, see, you know, that, that's, 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 yeah. that's real class. I won't start it, but I'll finish. Right She'll call the ambulance for you and everything. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, Rebecca, she'll, she'll, she'll I remember you funeral. wanted to fight me once. And um, I allowed you to yeah. throw the first punch because that's polite. You didn't. <laughs> and I'm definitely not going to. Yeah. But yeah no i can if you would like me to (laughs) (laughs) no that's the energy i have man that's the energy you gotta have it's like all right but i'll throw first punches when it comes to my sister yeah that's it yeah that's the rules though yeah Yeah, that's That's, family that's different kind of love there's no fucking rules (laughs) (laughs) exactly exactly well because you just see red in that moment like somebody fucking with your sibling you're like "Mm -mm." like i don't with yourself you're like let me let me see this through like i i want to see how i want to approach this i know i can do what i need to do but that's really funny yeah yeah um have you ever felt personal resentment towards other racial groups as a result of your negative experiences or like your lack of i guess like representation or like you know uh the answer would be no if I have a problem with you, it'd be because I have a problem with your actions and you as an individual. Mm-hmm. So I'll fight you, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know what we I'll turned on. <laughs> Sorry, I'm I just, you know, I, I'm just thinking about my life. I'm just thinking about what I went through. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, you know what? I'm angry. I'm ready to scream. I'm, no, I'm, literally. I, See, did, my mom said she would be some... triggered. And she's like, yeah, you're going to be triggered when you have this conversation. And I'm like, oh, yeah, mom, that's not going to happen. 
I'm feeling a little triggered. Okay, let me try <laughs> that again. <laughs> if I have problems with you as an individual, my problems stay with you as an individual. Mm-hmm. I don't feel the need to generalize a whole culture based on your actions. You're not that important. Mm-hmm. I don't, I'm not a racist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I just don't feel the need to. But if I have a problem with you as an individual, and usually I don't have many problems, yeah, yeah. yeah. it was you. <laughs> um, would you recommend living in or growing up in Vancouver to like a young black person or family? Yes, Vancouver has some nice mountains. Like you can go hiking. It's mm-hmm. quite nice. It's beautiful. Um, that being said, you know, there's not a lot of black people. So do your research and figure out the demographics within the school. Um, if your kid's the only black person in school, create an environment where they feel comfortable in coming to you with advice. As for those who are adopted and are in a family and you're the only black person in your family, I would suggest that the parents do more research on black struggle and help maintain that identity because my parents are interracial Um, my mom did a good job because she's black and she's gone through it my dad had to learn a few things and that's just to be expected because we're different cultures and it was a different time when they grew up yep Mm -hmm. but I mean like I can say I've had or I've been around other um kids of color that were adopted by white parents and I like by far I will say your dad is the most notable he's done like the most incredible job as like and I always reflect back on that I always have those conversations like with my dad after certain experiences being like you know more parents should be like Simone's dad yeah and you know why that was it's because we had to check him sometimes (laughs) (laughs) like if if we're going through racism like as a white man, he might not see that as being racist. Mm-hmm. Like, certain situations, it was hard to detect. I remember me and my mom being like, eh, was this racist? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was pretty racist. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the time when, you know, um, we would have heated discussions, because one thing in our families that we speak openly, yeah. and we all talk shit, and we all, you know, don't push the line of being verbally... <laughs> what's the word um verbally destructive uh, yeah <laughs> like conscious you mean i don't know what you mean um we're not like insulting each other but we're very honest in oh, the okay, way we're okay. communicating with each yeah. other so if my dad doesn't see it a certain way i have to explain to him like this is racism and this is why it's racist mm-hmm. and you need to get in line or you need to you know yeah help us make that change yeah make that decision for yourself but and a lot of the time he was like, yeah, okay. And then as the years went on and I was dealing with a lot of racism on the team, he had my back and he would, you know, talk shit to the coaches, to their face. and Yeah, <laughs> as he should, yeah. And he's also British, so he'll say what he wants to say and he won't be passive about it because a lot of Canadian men and women are passive. Yeah. They don't like to rock the boat. They don't like confrontation. I'm also like that. But then again, there are certain times when I need to be confrontational. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Well, yeah, like there's, I think like, how do I explain? Yeah, you have to conduct yourself to a certain extent or to a, in a certain way. But I think there are situations that warrant you to step out of that to show people that they can't act in certain ways or you can't be pushed around because you're kind. Yeah, especially if you're raising black children and you're white, you need to do some research mm -hmm. and you need to figure it out because it's hard to raise a black child when they're the only ones in class that are black. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's going to be an uncomfortable conversation for anyone. But, you know, my dad quickly learned and you can learn, too, if you put in the work and you, you know, take the time to learn. Yeah. yeah. And you accept that you have to learn. I feel like some people, the approach they choose to take is like, well, you know, personally, I view you as the same as me. So, like, that's all that it is. Yeah. I do. So, so does the world. And you're like, no, you have to. It has to be, even like when I talk to certain people about like interracial relationships, if they were to marry someone who's white, it's like that person has to accept that that is a job every day for the rest of their life that they must be committed to. They must never get tired of, you know, like they must never stop learning it and never hit the point where they can't accept it or the point where they're like, it's not that. It's not, it's a tough dynamic because as the parent, you want to, you're always, or as the parent, you call the shots or you can, you know, like tell a kid they're acting a certain way or things are right or wrong that they're saying. But racism is that line when you're raising a child and you're white and they're not of like when they tell you something, you don't get to refute that. You don't get to tell them, oh, it's not that or oh, just ignore it or oh, you have to validate their experiences and understand that you will never understand fully. And that's what my dad does well, just yeah. in case. <laughs> yeah, he validates my feelings, um, especially in the last three years when I was like, ah, yeah, this is racism. I'm feeling it because they talk respectfully to you, but they're yeah. not giving me the same respect. So why is that? Mm. And, and he understands. Also, another tip, uh, learn how to do black hair if you yes. are raising a black child. Yes. The kids should not you know have his hair in knots because of your you know poor parenting yeah. there are tons of black salons in vancouver and i know you know because it's on commercial drive and there's someone downtown that kid should not be walking around with the hair not done yeah yeah no, that's, that's all right. i have to say because mm -hmm. i've seen a few no and that's a basic need like you, you know if you're gonna adopt a child from any background, that requires like, you know, you have to know what comes with it and be willing to take it on and willing to realize, yeah, just uh, the hair is yeah. alike with everything. It's different than you. And another advice, don't get a weave for a black child when she's playing hockey because that weave will tear apart as she sweats. Just remembering that time go. where I wore a weave for the first time and I looked really bad. <laughs> <laughs> You live and you learn. Yeah. Well, that's good advice. You're going to save somebody. Yeah. God knows. Yeah. <laughs> so last question. What changes or improvements would you like to see in the city or your community to promote greater inclusivity, diversity, and belonging for black people in Vancouver? I know. It's a big one. <laughs> yeah, shit. Um, <laughs> and in school environments, the changes I would like to see is that you make it a welcoming space for diverse individuals and diverse families. Um, when my sister was getting bullied, 
in high or elementary school, nobody did anything because no one knew what to do. Like, remember when Ebola happened? And, mm-hmm. Yeah, they used to call her the Ebola girl. And I know I'm going to say oh this my. and it's going to trigger her, but I apologize. She gave me permission. Mm-hmm. She was bullied for months and wow. they used to wear That's masks. Right, yeah. They used to socially isolate from her. And it was like blatant bullying. Teacher did nothing until my mom came down and said something. These are experiences black kids shouldn't have to go through just because they're in a white environment. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it sucks. But because she went through that, she's able to speak for herself and, um, you know, stand up for herself. Mm -hmm. Topics like race... um, uh, sexual orientation needs to happen in schools so we can be inclusive to other people. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know, it might be a hard topic and people might not want to listen to that because they can't relate. But part of learning is you learn from other people's experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so in a school environment, that's what I want to see. In a healthcare environment, I would like to see doctors believe other people of color if they're feeling pain believe that pain and don't just assume that they're faking it based on the color of their skin mm-hmm. yeah that's yeah. all I want to see yeah mm-hmm. no I think that's the bare minimum honestly yeah, that's the you bare know minimum. what I mean like yeah. Um, I'm not asking for much you yeah. know no not, just de- not just at all decent decent and and equal health equal, equal health care and care overall in society yeah so Sam and Scott, I've been asking a lot of questions. I wonder after this conversation if you guys have any questions for Simone after what we've talked about. Hmm. A lot of interesting stuff come up. I mean, the amount of questions you asked, like it was—it's hard to ask it, anymore. It, 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 <laughs> no, just like on, the most specific things she talked about, or hmm. Uh, honestly, like a lot of my a lot of my questions that I would have had were answered within. Within the within, yeah. within this episode, because as we, as, as we said at the beginning, everything, all of us, we all came, we all came together to come up with all these questions for her. So I think she, we kind of got it. Like she, we all yeah. we got it down, basically. Okay. Cool. So, thank you for candidly sharing your experiences as a black person in Vancouver. Again, we are grateful for your willingness to open up to us and to shed light on an important perspective that needs to be heard. To Brayden and Simone, we want to thank you both for coming on the podcast today. Your stories are a testament to the powers of resilience, courage, and determination. That concludes this episode of After the Smoke Clears. We hope you enjoyed our interview with Simone and Brayden. And if you did, make sure to follow us and turn on notifications so that you can be notified every time we post a new episode. A huge thank you to our listeners for their support of our podcast. Your engagement and feedback means the world to us. Be sure to follow us on social media for the latest updates, episode content, and release information. Also, please direct message us with any questions or topics. We would love to hear from you. Our Instagram is at After the Smoke Clears Podcast, and our TikTok is at After the Smoke Clears Pod. Stay tuned for our next episode where we'll be talking about another aspect of resilience and triumph in the face of adversity. Thanks again for listening to After the Smoke Clears, and we'll see you soon. Bye.